0: The reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 14, Uh, reading verses 1 to 7, I invite your uh, hearing and reverence and faith and also rejoicing that we have uh, the precious word of God from Acts chapter 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. In the uh, history of warfare,
1: uh, there's always uh, tactics and strategy that opposing forces use uh, against their opponent. And that is exactly where we are this morning in uh, the study of uh, Acts and the missionary journey that we have been following. We are introduced to the tactics and the strategy of the forces of evil uh, that come upon the missionary journey, and really come upon you all of the time uh, in uh, the same way. It's a history that repeats itself, Uh, not just the fact that the opposition and the advance of the word always go together, uh, but the way that the opposition comes is just as significant, and I would submit to you that it will come to you in the same way all of your life. And will come upon your children all of their lives and as well uh, the church where we attend. We have been studying that the word uh, is uh, advancing, and here it's going to advance in Iconium uh, verses 1 to 3, of Acts chapter 14, and as I've suggested time and again, there's a parallel advance in the opposition, verses 4 to 5 which ironically causes a further advance of the word of God in verses 6 to 7. And so the tactics are really quite evident. There's a clash of the words of men and a clash of the word of God. The other line question, of course, is who's going to win? And of course, if you know the strategy of the Bible and you know the way that God works, uh, you know the answer intuitively already but nonetheless, it is uh, the text before us. Uh, previously, Paul and Barnabas preached in Pisidian Antioch with an advance of the Messianic kingdom among the Gentiles. And so we've uh, engaged Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We are outside of the nation of uh, Israel, and there's advance of the word of God and the message of the gospel as Gentiles come to faith. It's connected with the great words of the prophets that foretell of the coming of Gentiles uh, to praise and worship the great Savior. Of course, the Jews become jealous. They instigate a persecution and drive them out. And so the apostolic company continues to move forward. They go to Iconium. They don't stop. They don't give up. They don't quit. They don't say, well, there's opposition. Let's just go home and fold our tents. They keep moving forward. It's a reminder of an ever-present tactic in the life of the church, as well as your life as a Christian. You're always going to encounter opposition, and you must always keep moving forward. Iconium is in the Galatian region, or if you will, modern-day Turkey. And the pattern is going to repeat itself. What's going to happen? You already know. They're going to preach the word. There's going to be a rise in opposition, and there's going to be persecution followed by the advance of the word. It's a repetitive pattern. History's going to repeat itself. It's repeating itself this very day all over the world. In verses 1 to 3, the advance of the word is predictable. We know what's predictable from prophetic fulfillment. The great prophets of the Old Testament tell us uh, that the Word of God is going to advance and uh, gather people into the glorious messianic kingdom. Because God has ordained His Word to succeed. And because God is God, it will succeed. It can do nothing less than succeed because it is the Word of God. Fundamental lesson, if you will, of Genesis chapter 1, God speaks, and what happens? There's the creation. And God is speaking, and there's a spiritual creation through Jesus Christ. He's speaking it into existence the eternal word, gathering uh, the eternal people. It's a great measure from the prophet Isaiah that tells us that the word is going to succeed in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 23. God says, I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Notice, will not turn back. Doesn't have to turn back, it will always be victorious. But when you study the great uh, conflicts of uh, history and battlefields, uh, One army is turned back. One army is defeated. Not so respecting the Word of God. It never has to turn back. That's why as an individual Christian, you should have great confidence in the Word of God. As a church, we should have great confidence in the Word of God because it will advance. It will never have to turn back. Uh, Notice uh, the promise of God as He takes an oath to Himself that to Him every knee will bow. That language, as you know, is picked up respecting Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. That every knee will bow before Him. Every knee, whether friend or foe, will bow in allegiance. Either friend or foe. And will acknowledge that He is uh, the great King to the glory of God the Father. Great reminder as Christians that we can place our hope not only in the Word of God, But in Jesus Christ, who is the eternal word. Uh, Love that text from Isaiah 45. The word never has to turn back, and neither does the Savior, and neither does the church. Uh, The fulfillment is evident in the book of Acts. Uh, If you look, for example, one illustration, uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 49, we read, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. And this is not turned back. It is spreading. It's advancing. It never suffers defeat because it is the Word of the living God. So here, the apostles, if you look at Acts chapter 14, verse 1, they speak and many believe. They spoke in such a manner that a great multitude believed, both of Jews and Greeks. Uh, the word of God is advancing and many believe. Uh, the sequence, res- uh, pardon me, resumes in verse 3. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So they continued a long time speaking boldly. It's a reference to the Word of God and the boldness that the apostles have with regard to the Word of the Living God. Uh, the manner of their stay, and this is the tactic that I would like to bring before you this morning, is a speech event. And they are speaking boldly. So it's something of a parallel to Genesis chapter 1 that God speaks. And so what are his people doing? They're speaking boldly because they represent the very word of the living God. Reminder to us uh, that in uh, life, uh, we encounter non-believers. So we develop relationships, we share the gospel, we teach. Ultimately, uh, we start churches because that's a tactic that the apostolic company is doing. They're going forth, proclaiming the word of God, planting Churches, very elemental. They're not planting Bible studies. They're not planting groups. They are planting churches as an expression of the victory of the Word of God gathering the end-time people of God. It's a tactic that really continues today. Let's look at the negative because the tactic of the opposition... It's a speech event, too. It's gonna to mirror the work of the apostolic company. And so the advance of the word causes opposition in predictable fulfillment. Uh, verses 4 to 5. It's also evident in verse 2. Reminder of the great text of our Lord in John chapter 15, verse 18: if the world uh, hated me, it's gonna hate you. And there's our opposition. Hatred uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is external from false religion and false words that will eventually unify with civil government to persecute. That's one of the great strategies, if you will, of Satan to conquer the world, to which he knows he will be defeated. But nevertheless, he's going to begin with false religion that will engage in false words, that will eventually unify with civil government to persecute the people of God. Book of Acts. In a simple sentence. The tactics of Satan. Uh, We have studied, for example, early portions of the Book of Acts that the Sanhedrin flogs Peter and John and commands them to speak no more. A civil governor. Notice, civil governor. False religion, civil government. Puts James to death. Here it is false religion. Let's look at Acts chapter 14, verse 2. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. The New American Standard uh, reads uh, non-believers or the Jews who disbelieved. But it is more properly uh, markers of their disobedience or rebels against God. So rebels against God come to engage in a speech event against the apostolic company. Let's look at what they do. There's two verbs here. First, they stirred up or incited and caused distress with words. Notice the direct object. This is incredibly important. They stirred up the minds. In the Greek New Testament, it's literally soul, but it's a reference to the mind. The, bega- the battle begins with the mind. False words come to engage the mind, to cause the mind to rebel against God. Words. Uh, are the tactics, but the beginning point is the mind. Reminded in our own culture, uh, one of the great battles that's been occurring in our culture is an analog to what's occurring in the book of Acts. has been occurring for decades. It's in the academy, turning the minds of young people, poisoning them against the word of God. It's occurring here in false religion. So it's directed against the inner man of the person. The inner man, the life. That's why the New American Standard, uh, something of a mirror of the Greek text, it really uses the literal word souls. It's where we feel, think, and process information. And that is uh, the decision process that the false words are attempting to interdict. That the mind might uh, process the information and lose its confidence in the Word of God and turn to the words of men. Or perhaps a professor or a teacher. But It's a speech event that targets the mind. The mind. While unstated in the text, the manner that they do this is, of course, uh, false words as the tactic that Satan is going to use. If you will, they make propaganda. Uh, they pervert the words of the living God and they make false words. Uh, this is as an ancient as it can get in terms of an ongoing uh, repetition of history. Remind you of Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. What happens in Genesis 3, verse 1? And the serpent was more subtle or crafty or wise than all the beasts of the field. And what does he do as he comes to Eve? He speaks to her false words. It's exactly what's occurring in Acts chapter 14. He perverts the word of God. He tricks her. He engages her thought process to confuse her. But ultimately, he tricks her with the word of God by perverting it. It's also a reminder of an uh, ancient repetition of history. He comes into the sanctuary because the Garden of Eden was a sanctuary where God met—pardon me—met uh, with Adam and Eve. So he comes into the garden sanctuary, comes into it to trick Eve uh, with false words and propaganda. Repetitive event of history and the tactics of Satan. He deceives her with words and opposition. Uh, to the Word of God. It's a pattern that we've looked at a couple of times uh, in our lessons in the book of Acts uh, from Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. Antiochus Epiphanes is persecuting the children of Israel. Notice how he begins his persecution and by smooth words he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly towards the covenant. It's a reference to God's covenant people. What does he use to get them to turn? Smooth words. He uses words. Smooth words to trick them. It's also very important that Antiochus comes into the sanctuary to desecrate it. The desecration begins with words. He's a forerunner, as you know, or a type, if you will, of antichrist, so that his spirit is now in the church, desecrating the church with propaganda. It's one of the reasons that we respond by placing our hope and faith in the word of the living God. We reject his propaganda. We reject smooth words for the word of the living God. So how do we counter the false words of false religion? We counter it with the word of our great God. Uh, But notice the opposition begins with words. In this case, or the case of Antiochus, with soft words to incite lawlessness against God. It's very interesting that this word for soft words is uh, used of uh, the maker of an idol. Because ultimately, if you can pervert someone with false words, you can make an idolater out of them. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 7. So the craftsman encourages the smelter, and he who smooths metal with the hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good, and he fastens it with nails that it should not totter, The context is the making of an idol. The gathering of the metal, the smelting of it, using the hammer to smooth it out to fashion an idol, and then the bold proclamation that it will not totter. That's as false as it can get. It will totter. All false gods will totter. Uh, But one of the great sins of the uh, people of God in the prophecy of Isaiah was that they had become Idolaters and they become and gather uh, the makers of idols about them who trick them with smooth words so that they will make a smooth or, if you will, pretty, handsome looking idol and they boast that it will never fall. Well, they fall all of the time because the word of God will openly prevail. But the smooth words uh, are targeted to the mind to turn the mind or, if you will, to turn the heart. My paraphrase of Daniel chapter 11 uh, is uh, that soft words lead to soft men who are easily turned. That's why uh, our opposition to the opposition of the false words of false religion is, of course, to the word of God. uh, That never turns and never turns back and therefore, we are to align ourselves with it. Uh, the matter is compounded strategically by spiritual forces. This too is a repetition of history. If you will, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness. And who comes to Him? Satan comes to Him. To attempt to turn him with false words. Thankfully, of course, he cannot. The eternal word, who is Jesus himself, rejects the false words. But at every point, he counters the false words of Satan uh, with the word of God. So, a reminder to you as an individual, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to give your heart to study uh, the word of the living God. It's a reminder to us as a church that central to our focus is the Word of God. Because that will protect us from the false words of false men. There's also, if you will, a repetition of the history in terms of spiritual forces. Great illustration of this in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13. Because there's a reference here to spiritual forces at the national level. We oftentimes deal at the individual level. Daniel reminds us of spiritual forces at the national level that ultimately are a reminder of spiritual forces at the international or global level. Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, "...but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days." It's a reference to the evil forces of fallen angels... That were resisting and opposing the angel of God uh, who guarded over uh, the nation of Persia. He's being opposed. And so Daniel tells us the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. And then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes. You and I know Michael's the archangel. We read of him in Daniel chapter 12, in verse 1. But behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I'd been left there with the kings of Persia. Angelic forces fighting over nations to turn them at the national level as well as the international level. Thank God uh, that uh, Michael cannot be turned. He protects the people of God. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, because of time, we'll not go there, but we have uh, in days gone by. Uh, we don't think in those terms, but we should. At the national and international and global levels, there are spiritual forces at work to turn nations, to turn governments, to turn churches, to oppose the Word of the living God. Uh, as a church, one small part, we must stand firm in the Word of God. Well, the first, uh, first verb in uh, Acts chapter uh, 14 uh, was they stirred up or incited the minds of those who were listening. The second verb is to do evil, uh, incites their minds to do evil. New American Standard reads embittered. It's very interesting uh, this verb is used in Acts chapter seven of Pharaoh's mistreatment of the Jews. Acts chapter seven, verse six, Acts chapter seven, verse 19. He mistreated the people of God. It suggests to me that the Jews in Iconium are engaging the actions of our archenemy, Pharaoh himself or the great dark princess, uh, the devil himself. And that tactic will eventually use words to turn people against the word of God, but also to unite with civil government to persecute the people of God. Repetitive event over and over and over. We've already seen it in the book of Acts. Reminder, if you will, of the use of civil government. Government from Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid his hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he has James put to death. So he wants to please the Jews. False religion. He puts James to death. A form of persecution of the church. A great reminder of this tactic of Uh, the forces of evil. They use smooth words, false words. They unite with civil government to harm the church. Well, there's a great positive here in our text. It's uh, quite remarkable that God is present too. While Satan and his fallen angels may be present to work harm, our God is present right alongside His people Let's read Acts chapter 14, verse 3. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking with reliance upon the Lord. Notice how the Lord is described in this text. Who was bearing witness to the word of His grace and granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So parallel to the evil witness is the witness of Christ. The apostles are identified with the living Christ. Remind you once again, because it's somewhat easy to miss this, reliance upon the Lord. So the apostles are trusting the Lord. As you encounter evil, as you encounter opposition, you must trust the Lord, rely upon the Lord, engage the Lord in faith and moving forward. But notice how the Lord is described who was bearing witness to the word of His grace. In other words, it's not just that the apostles are bearing witness, the Lord Himself is bearing witness. He is present by His Spirit, using the apostles to bear witness of the majesty of the word of His grace. That the apostles are in corporate solidarity with the living Christ by the living Spirit. it's worthy to remind ourselves that oftentimes when we encounter opposition in the world, the devil makes us feel alone. We are never alone. The Lord is always with us. The Lord is bearing witness. One of the ancient covenantal promises is that God will be with us never forsake us, never turn his back upon us, never leave us, always with us, never alone. I understand as Christians sometimes we feel terribly alone. I understand the emotion. I also understand the promise of the Word of God that should overcome the emotion. We are never left alone. That's instructive is because if we were ever left alone, we would eventually disintegrate and turn. But the Savior is always with us to engage us by His Spirit that we would never turn. Great promise. There is something of this in Acts chapter 18. In verse 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul, in the night by a vision. Notice the Lord is with Paul. I'm not going to discuss the issue of visions uh, because we have the Word of God. uh, And they did not in this particular time in the life of the church. But nonetheless, and the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Now notice the reason he is to do this in verse 10. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. I, I am reminded of the terrible disease of loneliness in our culture. People profoundly discouraged. Sometimes giving up. should not be so with a Christian. Why is that? Because the Lord is with us and because He has many people in the city where we live. We are never alone. Uh, there's something of this in the third servant song from the prophet Isaiah. Now, turn in your Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 9. Isaiah chapter 50 and the nine verse, ninth verse. Again, the third servant song. The prophet Isaiah introducing us to the servant of the Lord who is Jesus Christ. Behold, the Lord helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. The Savior is uh, recounting That many will condemn him, but they will not be victorious. They will all wear out like a garment. They attempt to wear him out, they cannot. They will wear out, they will fail, and the moth will eat them. It's a forerunner of eternal judgment. You and I, as servants of the Lord, could apply this verse to our lives. As we encounter opposition, we could say, the Lord helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Where do we find that language, by the way? That's right. Romans chapter 8. People condemn us all the time, but they will never succeed in their condemnations. Uh, They will all be turned back. They will all wear out like a garment. And they will be left to the moth, and the moth will eat them. Great reminder of uh, the word of God Uh, securing victory, and ultimately judgment. Uh, Very interesting tactic uh, that's here, is there not? Uh, Have you ever gone to the closet to try to uh, retrieve your uh, uh, winter woolens? And you say to yourself, oh my goodness, a, a moth has gotten at it. Well, no moths will ever get at our souls. Because it is God who protects us by His living, unfailing Word. And that is why the Word is advancing. God is with us. That we represent the divine Word. I remind you that uh, elemental to the life of Christian history is that Satan is many times successful in turning the church away from the Word of God. It's the point of neo-orthodoxy, if you will. Uh, The Bible is uh, not the Word of God. It contains the Word of God. It only becomes the Word of God when you believe it. That's nonsense. Every word in the Bible is the Word of God. Why have churches turned that way? Because Satan has turned them with smooth words. The Bible is the living Word of God. We don't make it the Word of God. How could we make it the Word of God that perverts the divine order? It is the Word because God says it is His Word. Of course, the forces of liberalism, that the Bible is not the Word of God, it is literature, it is poetry, we study it only as poetry or literature or history. Well, of course, the Bible is poetry. Of course, the Bible is wisdom literature. Of course, it is history. It's not a comprehensive history, but it is history. But it's much more than that, it's the living Word of God, the inspired Word of God, the Word that is God-breathed. And that's why we believe it and hope in it and study it and align ourselves with it. But those forces have come into the church, Neo-Orthodoxy and liberalism are in many churches. People have turned, and uh, that is a very sad event, but uh, it's reminded to us that we must not turn. Our Savior never turned. The apostles do not turn. Neither should we. In our text, in verses 4 to 5, there's another negative. You've followed the movement. There's been a positive and negative. Here's another negative. Tactically, when their words fail, the words of the Jews, the opposition, they turn to violence. And that's the tactic. When the false words fail, they turn to violence. Acts chapter 14, verse 5. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. Eventually, the advance guard of the false prophets and persecutors will give way, of course, to Antichrist. I'm going to go to a strategic level here in terms of opposition, but there's an alignment with false words to civil government to persecute the church, and eventually it will introduce our archenemy, Satan personified in the Antichrist himself. If you have your New Testament, I trust you do, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's read uh, first verses 1 and 2. And we request you, brethren, uh, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. You see the tactic there? False teachers have breached the Thessalonian church and have disturbed it and shaken their confidence, saying the coming of the Lord has already occurred. They're in the church already. Notice the tactic. They come into the church. The serpent comes into the garden sanctuary. Antiochus Epiphanes comes into the sanctuary to desecrate it. It's already now being attempted, the church at Thessalonica. And some of the people are shaken with respect to a false word. Uh, By the way, this is uh, present in uh, the church today. The theological uh, term is preterism. uh, That the Lord has already come. Uh, I have met on two occasions in my life uh, two Christians who believed sincerely and radically that the second coming of Jesus Christ has already occurred. Let me restate that. Professing Christians who affirm firm, and who attempted to turn me with the statement that the second coming of Jesus Christ has already occurred. That's a radical statement. It's false. It's radical. And Paul answers with two events uh, to remind the church at Thessalonica two events that will precede the second coming. He says the second coming has not occurred. It will be introduced by... Two preceding events. Uh, The first, uh, verse three let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy come first. What is apostasy? A falling away of the visible people of God. Yes, many will fall away. It's an ongoing event in the life of the church part of our opposition, too. People always falling away. It's a hallmark of the end-time tribulation. The word true and the word false always sifting people and driving them to one side or the other. Think, if you will, for example, in the words of Paul to his young Apostolic legacy, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Preach the word, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will turn away from the word of God to myth. Notice the tactic false words will come to them, they will turn from the word of God to myth. That's an act of apostasy or falling away of the visible people of God from the living God and His living Word. So Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica, in his day, the apostasy has not yet fully come to pass. I think it has and is coming to pass all of the time. Second, at some point, the man of lawlessness, verse 3, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of perdition that has not occurred apostasy is always occurring always sifting always attempting to turn people from and to false words and myth but some point the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed is a parallel to Christ who will ultimately be revealed and will ultimately destroy him and what does he do let's notice the tactic Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. Notice, he comes into the temple and takes his seat in the, temp- in, in the seat of the temple. Uh, this is, a uh, in my mind, Uh, Not respecting the belief of many Christians. This is not a literal event. It's a non literal event as there was uh, no literal seat, if you will. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 2, we read, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. There was no chair of Moses, it's just simply a figure of speech indicating that they have attempted to supplant Moses. So the son of lawlessness is going to attempt to supplant the true son of God. It's a non-literal event, meaning that he's going to attempt to displace the words of the living God. But again, I remind you, he comes into the covenant community and takes his seat in the temple. Into Genesis 3, chapter 1. Satan comes into the garden sanctuary. Before he is physically revealed, he is spiritually at work. Notice 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Where? In the church, attempting to turn it. Let me say that again. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's an allusion to Daniel who prophesies of an end-time apostasy and the man of lawlessness. Antiochus Epiphanes is a type of the man of lawlessness. The lawlessness has started. It's going to advance. So too is the Word of God. How are you aligned, by the way? I trust with the living Word of God. The eternal Word in Jesus Christ. You've placed your hope in Him uh, who cannot be defeated. In Iconium, we have a propaganda offensive to divide the city. Again, Turning back to uh, Acts chapter 14, there's a propaganda uh, offensive, and when this fails, the persecution includes a plot to take them by insult and eventually stone them, put them to death, physical persecution. It begins with false words, eventually it turns to violence. Analog to this, I believe, in our own civil life today. False words, great violence in many of our cities. False words in church, great violence, turning a people away from God. The war of words eventually becomes a war of violence. That's why you and I must be vigilant. All of this prophecy is a reminder that we must be vigilant. We must be on guard. We must stand our guard. The point of all prophetic literature is to incite us to be faithful, to be vigilant uh, to the Word of God. It's a moral imperative. Uh, Very quickly, uh, because of the majesty of it, I'm going to return uh, back to 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, because you might ask yourself, how can we survive this propaganda offensive? We have a hint. Trust the living word of the living God, but look at Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. That's why the true church never turns. Always holds fast. The majesty of God. Uh, We will close in our text this morning, going back to Acts chapter 14, with another great positive. Paul and Barnabas become aware of the plot. They flee to cities in other regions. uh, And more importantly, the text tells us that they keep on evangelizing Acts chapter 14, verse 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. They continued to proclaim the Word of God. The stress is on continuity of action. The continuity is one of our tactics. We continue moving forward, continuing proclaiming the Word of God. That's the heart and soul of the life of our church. It should be the heart and soul of the life of you as an individual. You have trusted in the living Word of God, in the eternal Word in Jesus Christ, and we proclaim it, we live it, and we remain and abide faithful to it. And the Word keeps on spreading. They are not intimidated because Christ is with them. They are sealed by the Spirit of God. They are guarded by angelic forces. And they are promised... The eternal Word of God will always win. The eternal Word of God does not fail. So ladies and gentlemen, when a Word comes to unseat you, to disturb you, to unsettle you, remember the tactics and the strategy of the apostolic company. They continue moving forward with the Word of God. That cannot fail. It will not fail you and neither will it fail this church. And therefore, let us be encouraged because of Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God himself.